0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another installment of our study on Christianity and liberalism. And as we come to study and reflect together, let's open up in prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing upon us. Heavenly Father, we approach you this morning thankful for the life that you've given and the very breath that we breathe today. It is a gift from you. Lord, we come also to thank you for the spiritual life that you have implanted in our hearts, how you've taken out our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. You've made us long for your Son with eyes full of faith. By your gift, we see him, we behold his glory. And we're so thankful that you have awakened us to know Christ and called us to be worshipers of Christ. And we pray that today, Lord, as we come before you and give you your worship, that you would stir our hearts that we might praise you as we ought. We pray. Lord, this morning, thinking upon this great book, Christianity and Liberalism, that you would help us to understand the issues that are set before us. May you profit our time together, and may it be edifying to the soul, and we pray it in Christ's name, amen. All right, after our very long historical introduction to all the doctrinal issues that have been involved leading up to the 19th century and through the 19th century, looking at mounting 19th century controversies to get a taste of the theological landscape. And then after a little two-week view of Machen's life, we finally come to the study of the actual book, Christianity and Liberalism. And I hope that you're going to read along with us if you haven't started reading already. And I hope that it will be a blessing to you. You'll always get more out of any of this that we do if you actually read. Well, what Machen is going to do in this book is to introduce the crisis in his day, namely to show us the difference between two competing religions. That will be his primary argument, that it's Christianity really or liberalism. Uh, These things cannot be mingled together. And in the chapters that are going to follow in the book, he will spell out the details as they connect to one's view of doctrine generally. So after the introduction, which is chapter 1 in the book, uh, we'll move to uh, look at doctrine, uh, and we'll kind of categorically consider the approach to doctrine. And then we'll move to consider God and man, the Bible, Christ, salvation, and the church. And our strategy is simply to spend a week on each chapter. And again, I hope that you'll read it with us. So we begin this morning with the opening sentence of the book, which is stirring. The purpose of this book, he says, is not to decide the religious issue of the present day, but merely to present the issue as sharply and clearly as possible. Now, what is the issue? Well, it's liberalism is not Christianity. That's going to be what this book is all about. and He's going to show you that in spades. And of course, while Machen is saying at the outset in the first sentence that I want to merely show you the issue as sharply and clearly as possible, he's also going to drop bombs along the way showing you that you cannot hold this liberal position and claim the Scriptures and claim to know Christ. Now what's interesting, and this is not in the book, but just some historical tidbits, Those who reviewed the book saw this clearly. Uh, The New York Herald Tribune, and you've got to remember, Presbyterians have no influence in today's world, but a hundred years ago we did. And the New York uh, newspapers covered all these controversies. So the New York Herald Tribune is reading Machen's book and making comment on it. Nobody's reading our books today and commenting on it. Uh, in the New York Times or other publications. But the influence was such at the time. The New York Herald Tribune advised liberals to read this book before undertaking any further reconstruction of Christianity. That's a striking thing for them to say. You guys need to stop, and you need to go read this book. Christian Century, which was the leading liberal magazine at the time, is a magazine still in print, said that the issues Machen raised did involve the clash between two religions. When your enemy agrees with you on the core of the issue, that's actually a good thing because you're actually dividing the lines in the right way. And then even the Unitarians, uh, anti-Trinitarian folks, praise Machen for putting things in a clear-cut fashion saying, you must either be a believer or an unbeliever. An evangelical or a liberal. You cannot be both at the same time. Now we would all say, well, duh, of course. But Henry Sloan Coffin, who we studied a few weeks back, called himself a liberal evangelical. And that was the the party of this group who were pushing liberal views. They wanted to hold on to the name evangelical. That concept still hangs around with us. People are trying to claim to be evangelical while actually not holding core tenants of the Gospel. And Andy Stanley would be a, a modern, clear display of that kind of behavior. I'm not, this is not a Sunday School lesson on him, but he's someone in our area who does these same kinds of things. Now, H.L. Mencken, uh, n- none of us know this guy, but he was a well-known essayist and journalist and cultural critic uh, in the day. He wrote for the Baltimore Sun he is not a fan of fundamentalists at all. He paints fundamentalists as obscurantists and charlatans. Uh, if you know anything about the famous Scopes trial in American history, where in the state of Tennessee, they had forbidden the teaching of uh, evolution, and somebody was teaching evolution, and it actually went, to, went before the courts. Uh, he, Mechden, called that the monkey trial. And that name has kind of stuck with it. And he blasted fundamentalists for their inability to defend their position as it related to scientific issues. But this guy still said, Dr. Machen is no mere soapbox orator of God alarming bucolic sinners for a percentage of the plate. Now, I had to look up what bucolic was. It's not a word I use every day. Uh, Countryside simpletons. Machen is not duping countryside simpletons just to get your money. On the contrary, he is a man of great learning and dignity. I can find no defect in his defense of his position. Is Christianity actually a revealed religion? If not, then it is nothing. If so, then we must accept the Bible as an inspired statement of its principles. If Christianity is really true, as he, machin believes. And if the Bible is true, then it is true from cover to cover. You can't have part of the truth and other parts not telling the truth. No, it's true throughout. So, Machin answering defies the host of Beelzebub to shake him. As I have hinted, I think that given his, Machin's faith, his position is completely impregnable. There is absolutely no flaw in the argument with which he supports it, if Machen is wrong, then the science of logic is hollow vanity, signifying nothing. This is an enemy of the truth saying this, so that's very striking. Okay, what what is the issue? Well, again, Christianity and liberalism are they connected? Machen's going to be asking the question: Can Christianity stand as a historical religion? Or has it been dashed on the rocks? And the issue, of course, is of no little consequence. If Christianity can't stand, then we all should go home. Right? We're wasting our time. So Machen notes at the start, and he wants to lay out a stark choice, he says. This is on page one, if you're following along the book. By presenting the issue sharply. And he says, presenting the issue sharply is indeed by no means a popular business at the present time. He says, some want to fight intellectual battles in a condition of low visibility. What do you think he means by that? Some want to fight intellectual battles in a condition of low visibility. Okay, they want to make it in the private sphere. In the public, they want to say as little. Here's how a friend of mine once put it in a very different context. I want to be as clear as necessary and as vague as possible. That can be good advice sometimes. But if you're trying to speak to issues with clarity, that's not good advice at all. Particularly about issues of the Gospel. Yeah, so in academic circles, it can be a common thing to, to sound really smart and never be clear. To use big words and nobody knows exactly what you're saying. And you make the issue obscure. You don't bring clarity to the issue. Further, we could recognize, as we think about it, uh, I'll ask this question, why is giving a clear-cut definition in religious matters judged, and this is Machen's language, to be an impious proceeding? If I'm being clear and direct, which is what Machen was known to be, then he was told he was being impious. He wasn't concerned to be pious, to be upright. Um, What's going on here? Well, friends, this is the tolerance police. What about niceness, Dr. Machin? Can't we all just get along? Let's just love one another and get busy with ministry. How can we do ministry if we're so distracted by the doctrinal issues? And you understand, You should be asking, how can we do ministry if we don't agree about the doctrinal issues? What do we have to proclaim if we're so busy doing ministry we can't even focus on what the message is? This man, Machen, and we should be like him, wanted to be clear about what it is I'm saying, what the Gospel is saying, and calling people to trust in Scripture, to trust in Christ, to see the necessity as a sinner to flee to Jesus alone for salvation. And we think about the Apostle Paul and how he deals with these kind of issues in Galatia. We keep coming back to this as we've been teaching this class. Galatians 1, Paul says, but even if we, he includes himself, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed let the anathema of God, the fierce fury of the living God, fall upon him. Now let me reassert this. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And then Paul violates all the niceness rules when he says in Galatians 5, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Whew. That's serious. The stakes are high. There can be no condition of low visibility. It's laying out what the issues are and calling for the judgment of God on those who refuse to embrace Christ as He's offered in the Gospel. So, Machen is intent, he says, to shine light on the religious situation. He says on page 1 that light can be an uh, impertinent intruder If you want to remain in the shadowy land, then you don't want the light to come. But but our job is to shine the light and to shine it with brilliance, even if some don't like the brightness. Why? Well, because the type of religion which rejoices in the sound of traditional phrases, regardless of their meanings, or shrinks from controversial matters, will never stand amidst the shocks of life. What is? What do you think he means? Okay, yeah. If scripture can't actually speak to you truth, and I'll add that you can hang on to and support you in life's difficulties, then it's just a a frivolous, pious undertaking. You're you're full of hot air with no substance, and that's what Machen is seeing here. What do you have? If you hold to these liberal views, you don't have a sympathetic high priest who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God man enthroned in heaven, who can come to your help and give you mercy and grace in the time of your need. You've eliminated all the facts of the gospel. And if you don't have any facts, what do you have? You have nothing, you have no substance, you have no root. To the facts, what happens to a tree with no root in a storm? It just falls over. But Machen is going to argue, look, our faith is not devoid of facts, and Machen is ready to fight about it. And I think you got to hear this, his fighting words. Again, he's still introducing page two. In the sphere of religion, as in other spheres, the things about which men are agreed are apt to be the things that are least worth holding. The really important things are the things about which men will fight. Man, he's just making this clear, isn't he? He's just kind of going for the jugular. From a Christian perspective, what are the things about which men will fight? Well, all of the liberals, and in previous centuries, all of the heretics would say that Jesus is the Son of God. But what do you mean when you say Jesus is the Son of God? Is He co-equal with the Father? Or is He just a lesser being? Is He only a Son in the sense that we're all sons of God because we're just humans? Or is He the divine God-man? Is He the one who's taken flesh? Those are fighting words. And the church fought about this for centuries, actually. How are we saved? Everybody agrees. Well, it's by grace. But what role do works play? Is it by grace, here's the key word, you know it, alone, grace alone. That's worth fighting for. Brethren, our our forefathers in the faith died. They were willing to shed their blood over these issues. There are things that are worth fighting about. And Machen is ready to fight. He's not trying just to be a contrarian. (laughs) He is engaging in a contention for the gospel. So as he thinks about these issues in terms of a battle, he's really laying it out in a battle with two sides here. It's about on the one side, the great redemptive religion, historical Christianity, versus a non-redemptive religion, modernism. And modernism has hijacked Christian phraseology. It's using Christian terminology. Doesn't it drive you crazy if you're a political conservative when people use the words that you use and they mean different things by them. Absolutely it drives you crazy. Wouldn't it drive you crazy? Make it personal in the context if you're having an argument with your spouse and ladies, your husband is taking your words and meaning completely different things by the things that you're saying than what you mean. Never happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. He should have said, I plead the fifth. <laughs> this is a frustrating thing. Religious terms have specific meaning in biblical and historical context. And Machen is trying to nail them to the wall. We're not trying to nail jello to the wall, because you can't. We're getting precise about what the scripture teach. So, what's what's different about modernism? Well, modernism is rooted in naturalism. And naturalism denies any entrance of the creative power of God into this world. No miracles, no virgin birth, no bodily resurrection, no new birth in the soul. Now, why has this philosophy of modernism or naturalism emerged? Well, Machen argues in the past hundred years, going back, of course, all the way to the beginning of the 19th century, we've entered into a new era of human history. Uh, modern inventions, industrialization, and the achievements of science. There's this vast widening of human knowledge. He talks about it in the area of chemistry, physics, psychology, anthropology, archaeology, textual studies. And Machen says, page four, no department of knowledge can maintain its isolation from the modern lust of scientific conquest. Treaties of inviolability, though hallowed by all the sanctions of age-long tradition, are being flung ruthlessly to the winds. So you can't say as science is advancing, oh, this is tradition. This is our sacred cow. It can't be touched. No, everything's being touched. And what's the consequence? Well, look at this picture. Can you see it? Tradition, Christians at the time, they're painting modernism as a devil to resist, but according to the modernists, what are the ideas that are, that are being resisted by tradition? Equality, individualism, progress. Do you see how the modernists are pushing? Oh, you're painting us as a devil, but we're actually holding the great ideas of the day. And we're advancing with these great thoughts. That's the notion. Among the modernists, there is an anti-tradition anti-historical mindset. Everything in the past is subjected to searching criticism and all previous convictions must go. Again, the Enlightenment, dare to think. So when you dare to think, in your thinking, you immediately have to dismiss everything you've ever heard, every institution that there is, and it's all about your individual autonomy and how you're going to make decisions. And as Machen wrestles with this problem as it pertains to Christianity, he notes that no institution has based itself more squarely upon the authority of a bygone age than Christianity. When is our most recent text? It's the Bible, and how long ago was that written? Well, yeah, I mean, the latter parts of it are in the first century, 1900 years ago. So. That's a big deal. We, if we hold to an anti-tradition mindset, then we're just going to wipe out Scripture whether its claims are right or not. And Machin's saying that's not how we need to approach the issue. Some argue that the problem here is easily solved, this faith versus science matter. Oh, all we need to do is just separate faith and science, like put a wall up. But this really skirts the issue. The key difference between Machen and the modernists is Machen is saying Christianity rests on facts in the sphere of history that can be subjected to historical investigation. The liberals are saying the facts don't matter. But let's think about whether that can be true. Did Jesus really live? Is that a question that matters? Yes. What would become of Christianity if Jesus did if he never really lived? Well, it would collapse. What would become of Christianity if the Bible isn't true and can be shown to be full of errors and problems? Or if Jesus did live, but if Jesus didn't die on the cross? Or if Jesus did die on the cross, but his body is still in the tomb? Does that matter? Um Liberals are saying, yeah, it doesn't really matter because we just have the idea of a resurrection, the idea of a new birth, right? So it it doesn't matter what the facts are. There's just this lingering idea that we can take hold of. Machen's asking, what is the relationship between Christianity and modern culture? And he says there are two approaches here. On the one hand, the liberal theologian seeks to rescue certain of the general principles of religion and by that the modern liberal theologian is saying the general principles of religion is the essence of christianity anybody want to take a stab at trying to just say what the general principles are the the essence of christianity okay yeah, the love of God. So the the famous liberal mantra, late nineteenth, early twentieth century, the the love of God, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. So we're gonna just we're just gonna rise up to what the general principles are. And men like this were arguing, Christianity, you're gonna hear this as we keep going, Christianity is just a life. Christianity is a life. What we need to do if we're Christians, we just follow the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what Christianity is. That's the essence of Christianity. We don't have to talk about all that doctrinal stuff. Just focus on just being a red letter Christian. That's what we're about. Just be a red letter Christian. What's the other approach? It's Machen's position that we maintain historic Christianity with all of its doctrinal content. We don't minimize it, we maximize it, all the doctrinal content, in the face of naturalistic modernism. Now, as Machen looks at these two approaches, why does the liberal approach not work? Well, here's how he talks about it on page six. He says, as you look at the liberal approach, why would you abandon the outer defenses to the enemy? and then withdraw to to some inner citadel. This, by the way, is a picture of Helm's Deep if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings. We can just give up the, the outer ground and we can retreat to some inner citadel. Can we find safety if we do that? If we abandon all the historical stuff and just come to the middle and talk about the essence of Christianity. Machen's answer is no. No, that won't work as a strategy because Modern materialism, especially in the realm of psychology, is not content with occupying the lower quarters of the Christian city. The modernist is just as opposed to the philosophical idealism of the liberal preacher as he is to biblical doctrine. In the eyes of the modernist, and I'll make it contemporary for us, in the eyes of a modernist or a postmodernist. Objective ethics is just a social construct. At the time Machen wrote this book, Christians had much more agreement, even if you were liberal, over what the ethic was. That's not true anymore. Because psychology in its Freudian emphasis wasn't just coming to deny the resurrection. It was coming to deny truth. It's striking at... core principles. And you can't just yield ground to the enemy on the outside and think you can hold to some general essence of something. No, you have to fight about all of these issues. Machen argues, in the intellectual battle of the present day, there can be no peace without victory. One side or the other must win. That's very binary of him, isn't it? It's very black and white. Yeah, and no nuance in this. He's just writing in your face about it. What, what do you think he means? Ponder it for a second. In this area of the intellectual battle, there can be no peace without victory. One side or the other must win. <clears throat> can we say, some people say the Bible is true. Some people say it's only sort of true. Some people say it's not true at all. It doesn't really matter. No, brethren, we can't say that. Can we say, Jesus rose from the dead, that's what some people hold. Some people hold to the idea of a spiritual resurrection. Some people believe that uh, none of that really matters anyway. Can we exist like that? Well, we can try, but that's not going to work, right? We've got to get away from this, your truth, my truth. There is objective truth. Machen is saying truth must prevail. Truth must win. Truth isn't just an abstract idea. What did Jesus say? John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a person. If you speak falsehood, you don't just violate an abstract standard. You assault truth, who is Christ. You must speak the truth. We have to contend for the truth. Now, are there primary truths, secondary truths, tertiary truths? Yes, there are. We'll come back to that in a second. But he's saying, "What we have to contend for the truth." So, foundational idea. He says, Machen says, page seven: It may appear that what the liberal theologian has retained, after abandoning to the enemy one Christian doctrine after another, is not Christianity at all, but a religion which is so entirely different from Christianity, as to belong to a distinct category. Now I'll come back to this in a minute, but he's already saying, liberalism is something altogether different. It can't even have the name Christianity. It's another kind of religion. Now, why does Machen keep using warfare language? Fight, winning a victory, abandoning to the enemy. This is a battle. Yeah, this is a spiritual battle. He, he's not attacking particular men here. He's attacking spirituality or forces of darkness. He's principalities and powers. Wrong ideas that are invading in men and the devil who works in the sons of disobedience is using men to put forward, but he's going for the jugular in a spiritual war. The devil is an adversary. He's on the prowl. He's aiming to overthrow the church. Jude, we really began our whole study with this. Jude, verse 3, contend for the faith. That's a fighting word. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So then finally, Machen gives us his thesis. So on page 7. He says, modern liberalism may be criticized on two fronts. One, on the ground that it is unchristian. Two, on the ground that it's unscientific. We shall concern ourselves here chiefly with the former that modern liberalism is unchristian in showing that despite the liberal use of traditional phraseology, modern liberalism is not only a different religion from Christianity, but belongs to a totally different class of religions. It's a distinct category. Now how so? And I'll answer this question myself. Modern liberalism is a works-based religion. Christianity is a religion of grace. Modern liberalism is telling you do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Christianity is saying behold what Christ has done. And he'll tell us later. Christianity begins with a triumphal indicative. The facts of the Gospel. Here's what God has done. So the question is not Wwjd. The question is, what has Jesus done? And then we respond to the gospel. So it's a totally different class of religion. So the liberals' attempt to rescue Christianity is no rescue at all. Machen argues, page bottom, page seven, into page eight. It is not the Christianity of the New Testament which is in conflict with science. But the supposed Christianity of the modern liberal church. And that the real city of God and that city alone, he's using uh, Augustine's categories, the city of God, city of man, the real city of God and that city alone has defenses which are capable of warding off the assaults of modern unbelief. The truth of God can withstand the assaults of modernistic science. God's truth is capable. Of making a defense and overthrowing strongholds, and Machen was doing this as a scholar. One of his most famous books is a book called *The Origin of Paul's Religion*, and John commented on it last week. And what's the, where did Paul get his religion from? It's a simple yet profound answer, I think, is how John put it: Jesus. But. I, I can't even tell you all the rivers of ink spilled trying to show that Paul developed his own idea and it's distinct from Jesus. The red-letter Christian movement is trying to put Jesus and Paul at odds with one another. Machen, as a scholar, defends the origin of Paul's religion. He got it from Jesus Christ. Or The Virgin Birth, another one of his great scholarly works published in 1930. He rigorously defends the virgin birth, against all the modern liberal and higher critical onslaught. He's a scholar of the first rank. We can defend the truth. We don't have to yield the truth to the enemy. We can stand on these issues. In liberalism's missteps, in trying to remove from Christianity everything that could possibly be objected to in the name of science, you'll see how liberalism does that? In the name of science, we can just remove what might be objectionable. Can you think of things that were given away in the name of science? Okay, yeah, supernaturalism as a whole. So that kind of eliminates all kinds of things. Virgin birth, penal substitutionary atonement, uh, the, the resurrection of Christ, miracles of Jesus, creation. Today we might advance it to say that homosexuality is a willful sin. That's being surrendered. Okay, well, you're just born that way. Or abor- abortion is murder. No, we'll just make the science say that that's not really a person in there. Truth is objective. No, we're just, we can get rid of that. Truth can be subjective. That there are actually only two genders? Well, science is saying, oh, I, don't, I don't know about that anymore. We'll teach all, all, of our, all, all the folks in the medical community that it's a little more complicated than that. Machen says, look, in trying to bribe off the enemy by those concessions, which the enemy most desires, the apologist has really abandoned what he started out to defend. Here, as in many other departments of life, it appears that the things that are sometimes thought to be the hardest to defend are also the things most worth defending. Is it hard to defend in a modern world the doctrine of biblical creation? Yes. Is it worth defending? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, a crucial assertion here. If the preaching of the church is controlled by the liberals, Christianity will perish, Machen's saying. The Gospel will be totally destroyed. And this is Machen's frustration at the seminary level. You're trying to move us away from scholarly focus on how to defend these issues and just talk about ministry stuff. But you're losing where to fight the battle. You're not training men in how to engage against these ideas. Vastly more important, he says, than all questions with regard to methods of preaching is the root question as to what it is that shall be preached. Let's not just talk about the theory of how to make a good speech. Let's talk about what you should actually preach. What should be the substance in the proclamation of the Gospel? And it raises a question as to the content of the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 13, 3-5. And I'm going to make a big push here because I've got to hurry up. For I deliver to you as of first importance, this is a first-tier issue, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared, He was seen, uh, by Cephas and then the 12. These are fundamental issues. A number of the fundamentals are in this particular statement. There's a content of the gospel that you actually have to communicate. You can't communicate the gospel without words. Words are necessary. And particular words about particular things are necessary. Now, the liberals were holding, um, you know, some are saying, look, th- this whole idea of an infallible Bible, we don't even have to defend the issue. Let's just not even defend it. That's not even worth. Our time. We can just be disinterested in the question. The Bible doesn't need a defense. Well, I mean that sound. It can sound pious, but no, you need to be able to defend it. Uh, or there are other people saying what, the whole thing is just hopeless anyway. We've already lost uh, the ground here about the Bible being true, and the liberals are comparing folks who defend miracles with those who believe the earth is flat. Machin says they're calling us, and I quote him people with arrested development. What's a a blunter way to say that? You, you, Yeah, you're a bunch of retards. You're stupid people. That's why you believe all this stuff. Um, those in the second category who think the battle is hopelessly lost, Machin says, have grossly overestimated the achievements of science. Now, he gets on a tangent here, and I may have to skip some of the things in my notes, but if y'all allow me to show you what he's trying to say. As we look at the modern world, we can say, okay, what are the pros of modernism? Has modernism actually given us something that's good? Well, we can go to the dentist. And you may think, that's not good. Um, well, that's easy for you to say prior to the 20th century, and you didn't understand what it was like to have an abscess tooth and what it might do to you, kill you. Um, simple things can be remedied. Are antibiotics good? Well, in many ways, no. But in some ways, yes. Uh, We have found an ability to speak to particular diseases, to to help. Uh, That is an advantage of living in the modern world. So, Machen says, look, it's true there's an improvement in some areas, but in other ways there's been a lamentable decline. The improvement appears in the physical condition of life, but in the spiritual realm there's a corresponding loss. What about art? What about literature? What about poetry and painting and music? Has humanity suddenly become dumb? I mean, where are the great poets of our age? Where are the great painters? Where are the great sculptors? The art, he says, that still subsists is largely imitative, and where it is not imitative, it is usually bizarre. Have you looked at late 20th century art? It's just weird. So beauty, contemplation, classics are being replaced with utilitarianism—the greatest good for the greatest number. And Machen says this actually is bringing a great limitation on individual freedom, even where socialism is abhorred. Supposedly, he says, look, where when once the majority has determined that a certain regime is beneficial. That regime, without further hesitation, is forced ruthlessly upon the individual man. Machin was once dubbed a radical libertarian in his political views. He took very unpopular positions in his day because he believed a lot of them were violations of man's individual liberty for the good of the state. He was an anti-federalist. He opposed the draft, he opposed prohibition, He opposed the Department of Education. He opposed federal parks. He opposed a ban on employment until a child turns 18. He opposed federalism, big government, as a principle. And he brings it up in the push for modern state education as another means to show that modernism is actually impoverishing us. He says the object of education his claim by the modernists is the greatest happiness for the greatest number. But then he argues in the book on page 12, idiosyncrasies in education, different schooling methods, different realm of study, different time for education, liberty in what we teach, when we teach, how to teach, when do you start teaching foreign languages? That was actually a battle politically in some states. You could only teach foreign language when a child enters into the eighth grade. You just took away the best way to learn the language. He says, these liberties are being squashed. And he saw that the choice of schools would be taken away from the individual parent and placed in the hands of the state. Page 11. He wrote in another place, if you give the bureaucrats your children, you might as well give them everything else also. He wanted no governmental intervention in these things because if they get control... The state then exercises its authority through the instruments that are ready to hand, and at once, therefore, the child is placed under the control of psychological experts, themselves without the slightest acquaintance with the higher realms of human life, who proceed to prevent any such acquaintance being gained by those who come into their care. What is he saying? The state is quickly handing your children over to the modernists, the psychologists, who have no concern for spiritual issues. And then they're trying to teach morality. What happens if you cut across the relationship of doctrine and ethics? If you just teach the ethics with no doctrine? well, Well, then the ethics have no foundation. And eventually the ethics, as they're studied in isolation from what is objectively true, become situationally true. And we have situational ethics or your truth, my truth. And we create a mindset among us where might makes right. The survival of the fittest. I'll just impose what I think is best. He says, um, look, uh, he's not against public education. He makes a comment about it here. A public school system in itself is indeed of enormous benefit to the race, but it is a benefit only if it is kept healthy at every moment by the absolutely free possibility of the, of the competition of private schools. A public school system, if it means the providing of free education for those who desire it, is a noteworthy and beneficent achievement of modern times, but when once it becomes monopolistic, it is the most perfect instrument of tyranny which has yet been devised. Why? Because modernism, gains control and pushes its views on everyone. It becomes totalitarian. And it dominates. That's all a tangent. We'll get back to the main point. Modern is not better. In view of the lamentable defects of modern life, a type of religion certainly should not be commended simply because it's modern or condemned simply because it's old. You see what he's getting at? Again, let's let's study the facts. What, me, what made the men of old so great while the men intellectually today seem so small? Well, it's because they've accepted the modern way of life and they've stopped studying classical ideas. That would be Machen's response. So what's going to restore mankind? Machen wants a new reformation. Uh, the, the Christian religion being communicated as it has been historically conveyed. A message of divine grace, he says, almost forgotten now, as it was forgotten in the Middle Ages, but destined to burst forth once more in God's good time in a new reformation. He wants the truth of the Scripture to be proclaimed clearly. Let's return to Scripture. Let's return to the facts of the Gospel. That is the truth that turns the world upside down. So let's be, again, doctrinally maximalist. Let's communicate all the doctrines of this glorious salvation and communicate it clearly. And he says, in closing, here's my goal. By showing what Christianity is not, the liberals' reconstruction, we hope to be able to show what Christianity is in order that men may be led to turn from the weak, beggarly elements and have have recourse again to the grace of God. Modernism is simply offering you something that says save yourself by being a good person. I want to take you to the theology of grace. And it's a new Reformation because what was being heralded at the Reformation? Scripture alone, grace alone, salvation through grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone to the glory of God alone. That's what we want to get back to. And we want to proclaim this vigorously. Well, what fun he's laying out for us. As he sets the stage to the issues, please read the book. You'll benefit more if you do. That's the third time I've said this in the class, but on purpose. Uh, And we'll continue balancing through the chapters uh, next week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come thanking You and Your providence for Your servant, J. Gresham Machen. And Lord, we recognize that many of the things He sets forward are clearly true, and yet the world did not accept it. And the world still does not accept it. And yet it is nevertheless Christ means as we set forth the Gospel to save sinners. Help us to not retreat from proclaiming the Gospel. Rather, give us boldness in speaking for You and standing for the truth. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.